Welcome to Let Me Know How It Is, a pop culture podcast about TV, movies, comics, and all things geek. We're looking at the work and careers of the late, great Neil Adams and George Perez. I'm Zach Slater. I'm Frank Melman. This is Tommy Smith-Arenes. I'm Clifton. Hey, guys. We have a special guest today. Mm. Writer, badminton enthusiast, Devon Sanders. <laughs> Hello. How's it going? Devon, thanks for being here. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yeah, as always. Also, you forgot King of the Shuttlecock. <laughs> King of the Shuttlecock. I did forget. Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> There's that, too. <laughs> I never knew. So. <laughs> Already learning things. Right. <laughs> so we uh, recently just lost Neil Adams, and this episode was set to be devoted to him. And then we got word that George Perez passed away yesterday. Mm-hmm. So we thought we would try and pay tribute to both legends uh, at once. So we'll do. We're going to kind of split the show. We'll start with Neil Adams. And then we'll uh, we'll do the second half to George Perez. Two giants lost within God. What was that? A week of each other? Like yep nine nine ten days. Yeah, yeah, it's nuts. Yeah, I was reading on the internet where somebody had a, a I believe it was Chris Conroy who is a uh, editor for DC Comics where he said, imagine like film buffs imagine. Uh, Martin Scorsese and Steven Spielberg passing away within one week of each other. Mm. That's what this is for comics. Yeah. And it's, it's absolutely apropos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's yeah, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. It's like, there are probably five names that you could like rattle off the top of your head of like all time greats in comics. And we just, watched two of them leave us within a little over a week's time. It's just, it's a sad time in comics. Yeah, yeah it yeah. is. And they were both, and it's like, they were both still pretty active. Yeah. This is the other yeah. thing. Yeah. Like, like you know, Neil Adams was super active on the convention scene. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. That too. Yeah. We saw him all the time. Yeah. Down here in Baltimore, he was a mainstay for for the Baltimore convention that we go to mm-hmm. every year. I mean, he was yeah. always there. It was weird if he wasn't. He had like a city block devoted to his stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's start off with Neil Adams. Neil Adams was born June 15th, 1941 in New York City. He graduated from the School of Industrial Art in 1959 in New York. Right out of high school, he tried unsuccessfully to get freelance work at DC Comics but he did land at Archie Comics working under the legendary Joe Simon for a little while. He left Archie and began working in advertising, where he got steady work for a number of years. Concurrently, he was also working as a newspaper strip artist, most notably for the Ben Casey strip, based on a popular TV medical drama at the time. He stayed for three and a half years, but soon found his way back to comics, first at Warren Publishing, where he did some horror books under famed comics editor Archie Goodwin. And then finally, he made it to DC Comics where he picked up work on some horror books and war books, and he even did some timeless classics like The Adventures of Jerry Lewis and The Adventures of Bob <laughs> Hope. <laughs> um, he soon found his way to covers and to the superhero titles he's famous for, probably most well-known for his runs on Batman, as well as the topical Green Lantern, Green Arrow comic series in the 70s. Adams continued to work in the industry, most recently working as both writer and artist on Batman vs. Rachel Ghoul in 2019 and fantastic for antithesis in 2020 with mark wade which now unfortunately serves as his final published work as an interior artist 
Adams died April 28th of this year, the age of 80. As always, as I'm sure we'll say a bunch of times throughout the show, a true giant of the industry. So let's get into it. So where did you guys first encounter Neil Adams' work? And we'll go around. So Devon, you want to start since you're our guest? Yeah, um, thank you. Uh, I believe the first place that I ever encountered Neil Adams was on the covers of Power Records. And for those who don't remember what Power Records were, they were uh, 12-inch vinyl albums where they would basically tell a story featuring a superhero or some pop culture thing like Star Trek. Um, and sometimes they would have interiors by well-known artists, uh, like a Hawk one would have interiors by uh, Herb Trimpey. Um, but the ones for DC Comics uh, always had, usually had, Neil Adams artwork and it was like iconic stuff that got reused a bunch of different times in different places. Um, but the covers were just gorgeous. The stories themselves that were told weren't that great, but they reeled me in and they just felt like this incredible sort of like, um, I guess addendum to my comics reading mm -hmm. that I could sort of go and look and go, Hey, look, that's Neil Adams. So it, there has to be some sort of quality going on there. So let me pick this thing up. So that's the first place I ever remember seeing Neil Adams's artwork. Well, I've never even heard of those. <laughs> that's really cool, though. Yeah. They don't make them anymore, but they're still out <laughs> there. And if, if you're like a 70s slash 80s baby, you probably fondly remember them. Yeah, I never had any. I do remember seeing them around like when I was a kid and I've seen them I've seen them pop up in people's collections now. Like people have mm -hmm. been showcasing some of them in in their collections like going back to buy them now. And I mean stuff looks gorgeous. Looks so good. Oh yeah. All right, so what about the rest of you guys? Clifton, you want to go? Mine's also probably an otter. It's going to be an otter one. It's not as it's not as big a pull as those. It's not as big a pull as the records as Devon, but mine isn't um, isn't the things people would think of for him, but my first introduction would have been the Savage Land stories from X-Men mm -hmm. that when I was mm -hmm. around the age, I was probably getting them in like the X-Men classics reprints right. um, that they were doing in the late 80s, early 90s when they would uh, reprint all the old stories from X-Men while X-Men, like the new stories were also still in print. And, and there was the... um the run with Kazar and Sauron mm -hmm. that came around. It looks like, I think it was uncanny X-Men like 62, 63, that run of comics uh, or 61 to 63. And um, yeah, no, that was my introduction to them. It's funny though, because that was right before X-Men was almost canceled because mm -hmm. I mean, odd thing to believe in, in comics history that many people might not realize is that, you know, X-Men was on the chopping block and was all but canceled for years. And it ran for like 67 issues new. And then they just started reprinting uh, reprints like of the mm. earlier issues for like another 30 episodes. And Neil Adams was on it like right before it went into the reprints. He wasn't the one right before. Mm. I think the last one right before was um, Roy Thomas and Sal Buscema. But him and Denny O'Neill, 
uh, were on the the X Men run around that time and and much later. That's that that was my introduction to them. They had more success at DC at the same point in time, or a little bit later, because this was, I guess, nineteen sixty nine is when these issues were originally from. But that was them. His his creation of Sauron. I love Sauron. Yep. Man, I got one more thing to thank for him. I remember hunting that toy down as a kid. <laughs> That's cool. No, and I, I really love that, you know, that you're getting into some Marvel stuff in here because I didn't mention any of it and everything. I mean, he right. is, I think, I think it's not incorrect to say he's definitely more thought of as a DC guy. Oh, yeah, for sure. Right. Mm-hmm. When, when you are maybe the most iconic Batman artist in all of all time, like that'll happen. I think, you know what I mean? And, and mm-hmm. that's not even all he did there, but <laughs> it's, you know, um, Tommy, how about you? Oh, for me, uh, my first introduction to him was the green lantern, green arrow books. Mm-hmm. Um, and really the covers were so shocking. Like my, my real first introduction to him is that infamous cover where, Speedy is a heroin junkie. Mm-hmm. And as a result of it, it just compelled me to see what the hell's going on. But you can see a lot of his covers, especially the Green Lantern, Green Arrow stuff, in which he has something shocking or um, um, just unorthodox. Like, I was just like, what? What? He's taking drugs? I mean, that was, that was just my introduction to him. He's done a lot of other stuff, but that's the first time I've actually took consideration into what I was reading or like who drew that as opposed to uh, many of the other, you know, cover artists that I've seen or just artists doing covers. But that's my first introduction to the stuff that he did and how jarring it was just to see that um, in mainstream comics. Frank, how about you? For me, I mean, I think I've told the story before on the podcast of, of going through the department store after watching like the day before, I don't know, some episode of Batman 66. And, and, you know, it was either a cliffhanger day or they resolved it or whatever before the next one. And then walking in and seeing the treasury edition, it's, I think it's C51. It's the, the introduction of Raish, but it's like Batman in anguish over top of Robin's, what seems like his dead body. Hmm. And then in the background is that, that really cool Neil Adams, like, you know, um, Raish al Ghul sort of like leering over the top. Mm -hmm. Um, and just the thought that the juxtaposition of like, I just watched Batman and Robin, you know, bi- you know, Biff, Bam, Pow, their way through a couple episodes. And this is nothing like what that is. And then trying to reconcile the idea of like, it's still Batman. But yet, however, it's, you know, it's this whole thing. And then flipping through it and seeing, you know, in that treasury edition, it's so much larger than a regular comic book. And then, you know, the Neil Adams um, photo realistic quality to his stuff. And then just realizing that, you know, the comics world is so much different than some of the stuff that I'm used to in say like the Batman 66 show or super friends. And I think I, I, I knew I had stuff in my like older beat up comic stuff that was Neil Adams or Neil Adams covers. Cause at one point, once he got, you know, once he basically caught fire, they were like trying to put him on as many covers as they possibly could. Yeah. Whether he was actually doing the, actually doing the book or not. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff where I have like covers by Neil Adams and I'm like, you know, it's, it makes, you know, it just jumps off the rack at you, which is, you know, one of the qualities of his stuff. You know, I, I can't, I can't fault, you know, Julie Schwartz or whoever was like, no, we need to get him on covers immediately. Um, <laughs> right. But, right. Well, of course but, not. Yeah. But yeah, that was the first place I can, I definitely remember is that Batman cover. It was one of those things where I still, to this day, you know, I just, I love that, that image. That image is, you know, that's what I think of Batman. I think of that image and, 
and just the whole thing with Raish and Talia and all that stuff. So, yeah, the cover thing is is like a frustrating thing even then, where it's mm-hmm. like here's like oh that guy's not on the interiors, <laughs> right? Like, you know, what <laughs> for I mean? sure. No, for sure. Like, I was mm-hmm. for 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 getting ready for this one. Like I I have the three um Neil Adams like Batman hardcovers, and I was kind of mm-hmm. like going through that. And even just in in that own trade of all of his work, mm-hmm. I'll come across an awesome cover that they'll just sort of like put kind of chronologically when it came out. Right. And I'll be like, oh, this cover looks awesome. But it's like just one page. And like he didn't do the interior. I'm like, this looks no. awesome. Why didn't you have him do the, like the inside? <laughs> yeah. Like mm-hmm. it drives me nuts to this day. Um, so he he's one of those that I think I knew of him before I knew his work. I want to say, like, I probably encountered him in Wizard Magazine, of all things, right? When they were, like, you know, they're repinning, like, comic panels and stuff like that. Um, That's probably where I got wind of the Green Lantern, Green Arrow stuff before I actually got around to reading it. Um, It's probably where I saw, like, that, like, that Batman splash page of him running that's, like, you know, really, like, Kirby Mm pose-ish kind of look, like, at the end of, uh, I think it's Joker's Five-Way Revenge, at the very end of that story. You know what I'm talking about? I think you guys are all picture what I'm saying. Sure. Is that the one where he's running through the desert? Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's the one. Um, you know, so that's really my first encounter. Like, I, I can't remember the first comic of his I, I read. I'm sure it was a Batman thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Probably. You know? Yeah, I, I was also like, like Devon when he said the thing about the records. I had some of those, too. Like, yeah. I remember... Like the the Batman ones, I had a couple of those, and then I remember I wasn't I wasn't into Star Trek at the time, but I remember didn't he didn't he do some of those too? He did, he did. Yeah, they're it's good look, you know, it's a good looking Kirk and Spock coy that's done by Neil Adams <laughs> as well. Yeah, but yeah, and oddly enough, uh, uh, Uhura is actually painted white on that cover. Oh wow, okay. I don't think that was him. Oh wow, but yeah, no, he wouldn't have done that. <laughs> yeah. No. I don't think the guy who created John Stewart would do that. Right. Well, that's, that's like the one thing when we were thinking, when I was getting stuff together for the episode is the story about having to fight for the name, John Stewart. Yeah. That story. Do you know that story? Yes. No, I don't. Tell this story. So basically it was one of those things where they, like they were wanting to give him, and I don't know if it was, it wasn't Danny who wanted to do it certainly. And it wasn't, you know, he wasn't, Neil Adams wasn't, you know, for it. But at one point they wanted to give him some came, some kind of name like Washington Jefferson. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> something along those lines. Something really kind of like, ugh. And and he he fought and was like, I, th- I think it was Julie Schwartz, but I'm not certain, so don't quote me. But it was one of those things where he had to fight with editorial. Like, no, that's not a person's name. We're not trying to, you know, we're not. That's you know, it's a stereotypical kind of name for a character of color. Why would we do that? You know, we're not going to do that. Let's call him. You know, this is, they came up with John Stewart, and that's the name that they went with. But yeah, I, w- I don't think he would be the one to, to, to paint Uhura white. I don't think that would happen. <laughs> right. Based on that story alone, mm-hmm. yeah, I knew. Yeah, I knew. I knew that story was going to come up, and that's what mm-hmm. I was thinking about earlier. I didn't know that at all. I read that earlier. Yeah. Well, that I mean, that's one thing. I mean, other than just being like, I I only talk I, like I didn't have as many like interactions with him. It shows we talked about him in Baltimore and other stuff, and I've spoken to him a few times at different shows, but. He always, in a way, reminded me, like, I always thought that Neil Adams had sort of the same energy or, or gravitas to him that Darwin did, mm, Darwin mm-hmm. Cook mm-hmm. had. Just the idea of, like, you know, I'm cool with you and you're cool with me, but in the event that you decide to do anything stupid, 
Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm going to put you in your place. (laughs) Right. Right. You know, it's one of those things where he just had that kind of like, you know, you know, don't F with me, fella, kind of a feel, even though there was never menacing anything about him at all. It was just kind of like, you could tell like he was ready to like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but Darwin had that same thing too. Or, you know, we've told the story before, I think off the podcast of on about, being in line for Darwin and the guy cut in front of us and Darwin just sort of like sitting back being amused about like what's going to happen and whatever happens, I'm going to handle what happens. <laughs> right. But yeah, but I had that same, I had the same feeling from Neil Adams. Neil Adams was never but anything, anything but nice to me. But at the same time I said, that, that's one of the things when I was thinking about just him in general, when he, when he passed was just like the interactions with him. And he was, he was very friendly. He was very cordial, mm-hmm. but it just, it just seemed like he's just a person that didn't suffer fools at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, the thing for me that was the most shocking about his passing was I didn't realize he was 80 years old because he, yeah. he's just been so active in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like when you would see him at a convention, yeah. he was always sketching. He was always engaging with people. Mm-hmm. It seemed like every other like six months or something. There was a new Neil Adams book being solicited from DC or Marvel. As a matter of fact, I believe it was late last year, they solicited a a Fantastic Four story that he drew. So he was always active. So to hear that he passed away, it was like, no, no, Neil is timeless. Like he's not, he can't go away. Yeah. Well, that was the thing with that, because that was the Fantastic Four book he did with Mark Wade, right? That one? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because Wade had posted. Wade had posted that he, you know, he was fortunate enough, to, like, you know, he was obviously a giant to everybody else as well as Mark. And he said that basically, you know, he finally, just recently finally got to work with him on that Fantastic Four book. But yeah, I agree with you. That was the thing about him was he was always, you know, there was always someone who wanted to talk to him or that was the thing yeah. I noticed with, like, with him, especially was guys, especially being a fr- like, have like kind of afraid to approach him because <laughs> he was so much, you know, he did have that sort of larger than life quality. Right. You know, when you wanted to step up and get something signed or whatever, talk to him and he was always approachable. It's just, it, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just that he's so legendary. The fact that it was, you know, that that was the thing that made it, you know, people's heads that they were kind of weird about walking up to him. Cause I noticed that with other people that I don't know a bunch of times. Yeah. But, and, but the, my takeaway from that is exactly what you said. Um, I think that he was a man who knew exactly who he was in this world. Yeah especially mm-hmm. in the world of comics. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think a lot of people were afraid to approach him. Mm-hmm. And I think that he also knew that his time was valuable. And I think yeah. that he knew that his, knew that his talent was valuable. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there were certain barriers to entry with him um, because, you know, if you did want to get a sketch from him, it was going to be expensive. True. But you were also getting a sketch from Neil Adams. <laughs> right. Sure. Yeah, right. absolutely. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that's the other thing that I, you know, that I, that I take to heart about him is the fact that at the height of his fame, at the, at the height of his, you know, power, so to speak, like he was concerned about, about creators rights and about Siegel and, and Schuster getting their rights and their due. And he was one of those people that helped fight for that, you know, for them to get that yeah. credit, mm-hmm. you know, and again, this is again, this is you know, at this point in the early seventies, we're talking fifty years ago. He was just the young, you know, the young punk, young talent. <laughs> he didn't have to do, you know, that's not something he had to do. You know, he could have been like, yep. "I'm getting mine," you know, 
making yeah. all the making making a, a good dollar off of what of what you know they created. But he was like, no, these guys should definitely get their credit. They should definitely get paid. You know, there's no reason why DC and Warner Brothers should continue to live and eat off that what they they created without paying them properly. So that's yeah, something I was a classic move for sure. Yeah. Yeah. To be I mean, like, we're we're all here because of those guys, really. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. You've made yeah. billions of dollars off of it, like. Yeah, yeah, this whole this whole this whole genre and industry exists because of those two, and you know, we, DC and Warner Brothers want to turn a blind eye to them for as long as possible. So yeah, and also let's not forget that uh, he also championed uh, artists getting their pages back so yeah, that they could also true. have a new revenue stream because he had seen what had happened to the greats like Kirby and Ditko, mm-hmm. um, yeah. where their artwork was just being hoarded and stolen from them. And right. they couldn't, you know, they didn't have those revenue streams, but it was Neil Adams who fought uh, DC and Marvel to make sure that the artists who put in the work were able to get the artwork back so that they mm-hmm. could actually like live, just simply yeah. live. Which is an amazing thing. And quite frankly, I'm surprised that it hasn't really taken off more still. I've said like, like the original comic page art that you get, the one page that they did. That, that got pu- published into this book. I'm surprised that some, that that has not blown up to be, I mean, there's one of those, right? I get how valuable, you know, whatever the first issue of Watchmen is at this point and everything. But yeah. at the same time, like mm-hmm. the first page of the first issue of Watchmen, there's one of those in the world, mm-hmm. right? There's one original of that. And I can't imagine how much that would go for if somebody was selling it. Sure. Right. Right. I mean, there are there are auction sites now. There are agencies now that a lot of artists work through. Uh, so yeah. if you are interested in in your artist pages, you can probably find information on where they sell them now uh, through their yeah. agents, through their representatives, stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, it's a great thing that it's out there for them. A lot of them are doing digital though now. Is the other thing that's true too. I mean, some are fully digital yeah. artists, but mm-hmm. yeah. So there's a lot to unpack over here. Um, you know, yeah, I, Devon, you had said something where, like, you know, I, I agree. I mean, I think he absolutely knew how important an artist he was um, for for DC, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, there is, it's kind of like Robert Downey and Iron Man, right? There's Batman before Neil Adams drew him, and then there's Batman after. Absolutely. And I just think of, he's my favorite Batman. Like, that style of, of, what the character looks like is what I picture in my head, right? Because I like that he right. drew him like an athlete. He's mm. not muscle bound. Like Jim Lee, as incredible a Batman pinup as he can draw, he's still like super muscle bound and he looks like you <laughs> right. know, Schwarzenegger in the 70s, right. right? I like that Neil Adams and the other Batman artists of the 70s like actually drew Batman like he could move through space. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's why I think he was. For me, when it, this is an odd choice, but for me, when I think Neil Adams, I think of Superman versus Muhammad Ali. Um, oh, good book. Which was just incredible. And if you want to have a showcase of how incredible this man was, um, that to me is the perfect showcase. Um, mm-hmm. Because he was the only one who could capture the majesty of Superman. And also at the same time, the raw power of a very real human like Muhammad Ali. And Mm -hmm. I don't think people 
unless you were in it, you don't realize how big Muhammad Ali was. Right. And mm-hmm. when people were like, well, who could beat Muhammad Ali? There's nobody else. Well, <laughs> only Superman could. Right. And then right. it literally <laughs> became a, a comic book. And yeah. the first person everybody pointed to, that, like, who could draw this? It was like, it's Neil. Only Neil mm-hmm. could do mm-hmm. this. Only Neil could bring this impossible yet super realistic thing to life. And it still has life some 40 years after it was done. And it's still as gorgeous. People still talk about that iconic cover where it's Superman and Muhammad Ali in a boxing ring surrounded by the greats of like the 70s uh, culture at the time. Uh, Jimmy Carter's in in the crowd. Uh, I believe Sammy Davis Jr. Like <laughs> and right. he did this like. Everybody wants to talk about like the widescreen stuff that was being done in the early 2000s by Brian Hitch. You want to talk about that, but you have to point to Neil Adams because he was the person who was doing that before anyone mm-hmm. else was. Right. Well, I mean, that's like that. What I love about that book, not just to mention the fact that he, he, he manages, obviously captures Superman. And then, like you said, the, the, the grace and raw power of Muhammad Ali, it has that great opening street scene which is just like a masterclass in how you set up a scene in mm-hmm. anywhere. Yeah. And then it goes from like, from being rooted in like quote unquote reality. Cause again, you're having Muhammad Ali fight against <laughs> the, you know, the, <laughs> you know, Superman to like going to outer space. And then you see, you know, the alien side of, of, you know, Neil Adams talent and, Oh, and then the fight itself is really good. Like yeah. it's a good fight. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that's the other thing about it. So I, I always when I when when I finally got a copy of it, I was just amazed at how well, you know, and how well all that works together and how like it's like it doesn't seem like there's a struggle for him to like put it all on the page. There's mm-hmm. no like, well, yeah. this is the part where he skimped on. I'm like, no, there is no part where he skimped <laughs> no. on. It's all right. great stuff. He did do fights well, which yeah, is not something I think about mm-hmm. with yeah. him. Really. Like it's never jumped to mind until I was doing and getting ready for this episode. And I was mm-hmm. looking at a ton of his stuff and I was like, you know, I, I found some issue where it's like Batman fighting the creeper mm-hmm. and it's like, it's awesome. And then like, like Helgramite or something comes up at the end of it. And then like, <laughs> right. that's the, that's the, cl- the cliffhanger. Then they, then they're double team at Helgramite at, in this. I'm like, this looks great. And it's like, mm-hmm. for something that I know a lot of artists like think is kind of a pain to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it's like, they're not all fight choreographers. Right. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But like, but there was just such a, like a beautiful sequentialness to everything that he was doing, even though he, what you weren't necessarily like, there were gaps in between the panels, right? Yeah. Like it wasn't necessarily like, like right hook, left jab, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, right. like one after the next, like there was some space where your mind can do some filling in the blanks, but it's just, but it was still seamless in a weird way. Yeah. It's, it's his, his beats between in a fight for his, his fight scene stuff is done almost larger like it's, it, it it goes past the panel or, or past you know it goes bigger than that so a lot of times it, it like in watching or reading his stuff you get the the sense that the motion was there but it wasn't transition panel to panel like a lot of guy, a lot of you know artist stuff that's one thing like when i think about uh, again going back to the treasury and just Rachel ghoul batman stuff you know i always talk about the scimitars of the desert like that's one of my favorite scenes mm-hmm. in comics ever as well as one of my favorite batman scenes ever 
is just that fight, you know, where they, they basically, it's a culmination of like, well, you know, this is how it's going to go. And, 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 it's, and it's one of the things where I think in, in someone else's hands, the absurdity of, of Batman still wearing his mask, but being like bare chested <laughs> yeah. wouldn't work. But it's such a like, I, I don't know what it is about that scene. The well, I mean, but again, I'm looking at it now. And it's just the scenes of them fighting, you know, and it it's the, the energy, it shouldn't, the way he draws shouldn't work. Like it shouldn't, like mm. Batman's foot is in another panel that's like got dialogue and it's a different scene, but it's, it, it elevate to me, it elevates the scene to more than just a typical, like, you know, panel, panel transition or panel, panel splash page or whatever. It's just the way he did it was so, you know, oh, you can just see the power and the movement and like, you know, full well that it's, you know, you hear the clang of the swords. At least I can. I don't know about how it is for the rest of you, but this is how it is for me. Yeah. Yeah. Just amazing stuff. And like I said, like he's athletic looking. They both yeah, are. Oh, sure. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and there's a, there's a fluidity to it that I imagine, right? On top mm-hmm. of the fact that like, it sounds weird, but like, you know, like Batman's like sinewy looking, you know what I mean? Like you yeah. can see mm-hmm. like the muscles like flexing in his back, which is kind of cool, but doesn't, but it's not done in a way where like every muscle is flexing in his back because that's just how I draw everything. Right. Well, it's I mean, almost like he took, it's almost like he took care to notice, like he's moving this way. So this would be tensed up. Well, I mean, <laughs> you there's know? All, but there's also the fact like a lot of like, it's, I think it's the issue. It's not, I don't know if it's the one, what's the issue that Robin gets, like they present Rob, the idea of racist testing and with the idea that Robin's been kidnapped. Mm-hmm. I don't know yeah, if it's yeah. that one, or it's kind of like the one where they put the crew together to go after race of, of people that have been wronged by him before that whole thing. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's like in the round, I, I read it, I, I read it in the, tre- like there's some of that's in the treasure, but it's also, they did a mini series back in the late eighties, early nineties that, that was like reprints and it's recolored. It's all right. The coloring's all right, but the stories are good. But there's a point where he's doing a lot of the gymnastic stuff that he does. Mm-hmm. And it's done in a way again that like if he was muscle bound, it wouldn't it's not as believable as if he's more, you know, a leaner Batman. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of the, the tumbling and stuff and a lot of the flips and stuff. And I'm like, well, he couldn't pull that off. <laughs> you know, I don't and we don't get a lot of that anymore. Like that's that whole side of Batman is kind of like, eh, we don't really get that stuff. But back, you know, Neil Adams was able to make it look like he was, you know, that that made sense body type wise, as well as the fact that he was able to, you know just able to pull off that move along with the fact that he had the sheer power of like throwing a punch. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I just, I think that there was a, a, a difference to the approach of the character that that's also one of the things that he's known for Like one of the things I tripped over, I don't know if this is him. I don't know how, if he and Denny O'Neill, like kind of did Marvel style mm-hmm. or not, but like there's, there's a, a sequence I saw where like Batman's like, like Bruce is like nursing a wound in his mm-hmm. shoulder. And he's like, and he's like talking his way through it. He's like, okay, I'm putting this, this like ointment on there. And now, right. I'm going to massage it. And it's like three panels. And then at the end of the thing, he's like doing yoga. He like sits down. He's like, now I'm going to do some yoga <laughs> right. stuff to like restore like blood flow to that area. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't know whose idea that was like, is that, was that like a Denny O'Neill thing? Like they read probably. that someplace or, or, or <laughs> probably I could see it being an, an O'Neill th- or uh, an, an Adams thing too. I mean, as, as much like as said, like, I, the only reason I say, the only reason I say it might be more Denny than it is him is the fact that, you know, Danny had a fairly spiritual side to a lot of his stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know you think mm-hmm. a lot of stuff is, is more like hard boiled or more street level, but like when you look at the question, yeah, there's a fair amount of like mm-hmm. that, but like it was, I mean, that whole book is infused with philosophy and a lot of what he thought. So I, I think, I mean, it could be, but I mean, it's one of those things where I, I you know, I, at the same time, it's such a, you know, they were such a good, um, 
marriage of storytelling, the two of them. Yeah, they were. When they worked together. So it was one of those things where it's, you know, it's hard to tell. Like they were one of those partnerships that I don't think it talked to, even though they, they get lauded and people talk about them. I don't think that the, the, they get talk, to, talked about enough as how great it's, like storytellers they were together. Yeah, they really don't. No, it's it's one of those things where I think it's not appreciated because you've seen the influence a million times now. Mm-hmm. Probably so. And I think I think that there I think that it, there's something to be said about the fact that like th- there's like like you were saying like compared to the to to Adam West at the time, which I'm not dogging that at all. I love no. Adam West. Batman. We've, we've love, established love, that. We all do. But it's like but you get to that two-face issue that the half an evil issue, oh, that one that, that, so that covers good. him that so covers good. him like like on the pirate ship like yeah it's a great <laughs> you one. know like tied to the first page of that is like him like in the woods like in the swamp and it's like so like beautifully detailed and it's just one of these like like you wouldn't think to see batman in that setting at that time i don't think mm-hmm. you know oh yeah no that one's great i love that one yeah it's got because also it's also got the bit with the, like the hot air but not the hot air balloons with like the parade balloons too right remember that one correctly I think so. It's been forever since I've read that one. <laughs> but it's, you yeah, know what I mean, it's a, still, it's a, it's a good one. I, I remember I read that yeah. one first in a, in a, in a, in a Batman's villains digest size and then getting to see it like at a much bigger regular size in a comic was like, you get so much detail lost in the digest, but still it's a great story. It's still really well told. So yeah, I love that one. I, w- I want to get off Batman really quick. Cause there's still so much more to do, but the one thing of his that, that also I tripped over is he did a, he did a story called a vow from the grave. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, like Batman, the animated series did this episode, like almost mm-hmm. verbatim. Like yeah. it's the, it's the killer. They, they did it as a, it's sideshow is the title of the episode. It's that killer croc one where he's tracking him into the woods and then killer croc meets up with like the circus mm-hmm. performers. Yeah. That's a, that's a Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams story that mm-hmm. just they didn't have croc. They, they added croc in the show. Okay. Hang on. I got it in front of me. Let me look over. Let me look at the guy's name. So instead of Croc, it was a death row uh, inmate named Kano Wiggins. Okay. <laughs> yep. Great issue. What's the climax of the story? I can't. I'm, I can't remember the episode. Hold tight. Let me. <laughs> Sorry. Not to put the on the episode. Spot. You're talking about the episode or the issue? I know the issue. I know the issue you're talking about. I didn't realize that it was it was the one that was death with Croc because I know the issue. I know that one again. It was a cl- in that collection of like the reprint stuff. It has that one, I believe, in it too. Yeah, I do. I think they're fighting over a cliff, like like or something, yeah. like you know, like yeah. the the, the okay. seal, the seal kid is yep, being like draped it. off of a cliff or something. Batman has to save him. Yeah, yeah, because in the comics, he has to basically the kid, the seal, the 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 kid with the the flippers has to explain. Like basically, he's, he's mute and can't talk in the comic. And mm-hmm. it has, again, it's one of it's, sto- it's told so well. Where he has to basically try to give Batman a clue as to what's going on, and Batman gets the, you know he draws something in the dirt with the flipper, and Batman's like, "Oh!" And then they have the the confrontation on the cliff. Yeah, yeah, well, it's a great issue. And again, one of those I had no idea that episode was based on anything. Mm. But you know, very cool. Mm-hmm. Anyway, okay, so so what else? we we haven't really touched on Green Lantern, Green Arrow, which is also a super important thing. Mm. Yeah, it was just like I did. I was too young to read it when it first came out, but I, I've read the trade paperbacks and just the fact that they were trying to explore what was going on in the world at the time. And there was a lot going on at the world at, in the world at the time with mm-hmm. 
two of the shiniest kind of blank superheroes out there and infusing them with like all of this like energy. I just thought it was incredible because in the, the Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams time on the book, they took on religion. They took on politics. They took on drug abuse. They took on racism. And to me, when I think about the green arrow, uh, green lantern run on that, I think about that infamous panel where the older black man goes up to mm-hmm. uh, Green Lantern and says, uh, Green Lantern, I've seen what you've done for the purples. I've seen what you've done for the reds and I've seen what you've done for the blues. But what have you done for the black man? And yeah. I remember when I was a teen, I was kind of like, "Ooh, damn. OK. Wow. <laughs> right. And now, you know, being older, I'm like, well, you know, he saved the planet. So we're all kind of good. But just the fact that like that question was being asked at that Mm -hmm. time, it was a question that needed asking Mm -hmm. because. At that time, the the legacy of the black character um, in comics was usually a sidekick. Like they didn't Mm. usually get to ask hard questions. And he was just this like random character who came up to Green Lantern um, and asked him a really hard question. And, you know, usually when hard questions were asked in in comics, they were asked by the Riddler. Mm. So to see that (laughs) infused. Right. Right. To see actual reality infused within a green lantern green arrow comic was it was it was kind of a revelation yeah yeah my takeaway from that was the um was the um just the fact that those kind of questions weren't asked at dc yeah like that was my thing Mm. that was my takeaway from was like marvel did some of that stuff i mean marvel was much more you know the the hipper a little more relevant a little more more progressive for sure and then you know, and then the fact that that this is like that moment at DC where DC really tries and succeeds at addressing some of those issues. Now, that, like you know, you have like that's around the time that isn't around the time where Wonder Woman is in her is in the is in her in her has no powers, yeah. right? That same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, they make an attempt, but this is where they really like they really shine through. And it's not a pun for Green Lantern, but they manage to tackle a lot of these really tough social issues. And and it's done well, and it's memorable, and it's one of those things where when people talk about <laughs> social issues, you know, in comics today, I'm just like, you just don't know your history, son. That's, I mean, that's the thing. You just don't know what you're talking about. This stuff was tackled, you know, 40, you know, 40, 50 years ago. Yeah. These issues were yeah. still there. Unfortunately, they're still there today, unfortunately, and they're still being addressed yeah. through comics and superheroes. So it's, you know, it's one of those things where... When, when people go on that rant, I'm just like, you just don't know what you're talking about. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, it's one of the greatest pages in all in the history of the medium. Mm-hmm. I think is that when you guys are talking about, I mean, and that, and that book, like you said, I mean, that book just did it continuously, just issue after issue, you know, yeah. both, both, you know, like real life concerning issue. And I mean, like, it, like publishing issue. Like, I mean, they just did it like so regularly. And, 
in a way that like that stuff can sometimes come off as preachy when you go back and look at it. Not this stuff. It mm. doesn't like, you know, like they, they, they weaved it in well, I think, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The fact that we got John Stewart um, out of it just because Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams basically went, well, why can't we do this? Right. Um, yeah you know, was an, an incredible thing. Um, you know, they were, you know, the world loves to talk about how representation matters, but in a world where there isn't much representation, someone stepping up and actually going, well, why can't we have a black green lantern was mm-hmm. kind of a big deal. Yeah. Cause it wasn't something that was seen a lot, if at all at that time. Yep. Super exciting to see that he's finally going to get like the focus of his own animated movie that's coming out later this mm-hmm. year, which I, yeah. I was very surprised about that. I thought, uh, you know, I knew they were doing a green lantern piece. I had no idea that it was going to be a John Stewart movie. And when I saw yeah. it, I was like, this is awesome. Like, because we, we were all kind of joking around on our shared, you know, text. We're like, this is, you know, this is still unfortunately like too late. Like you had your chance with justice league unlimited. It's sort of like, make him the character but Mm -hmm. you know i'll take it better late than never right right Mm -hmm. so all right i don't uh and it's so hard to move off of neil adams but we have another legend that we have to tackle (laughs) in the time uh for this episode so um let's go on and talk about george perez so george perez was born June 9th, 1954, in South Bronx, New York City. I, admittedly, I'm going to say right now, I have I have a much shorter bio for George Perez. There just is not as much available about like his personal life as, as um and his journey as there was for Neil Adams. But Perez started in comics as an assistant to Rich uh, Buckler. And in 1974, his first published work hit stands, Marvel's Co- Marvel Comics, Astonishing Tales number 25, which he had a two-page spread in, but he very quickly began getting regular work at Marvel with Inhumans and Fantastic Four and Man-Thing. His run on Avengers is, I think, being held as his most well-known piece at Marvel. Uh, At DC, he would go on to even bigger career highs with his work on uh, New Teen Titans and Wonder Woman and with the company-wide event Crisis on Infinite Earths. In the 1990s, Perez would pencil the long-in-development Justice League Avengers crossover at Marvel and DC with Kurt Busiek. He too continued to be active in the industry well into the 2010s and uh, Perez passed away May 6th, 2022. So uh, same question for you guys. So what was the first place you encountered George Perez? Well, for me, it was Avengers 144. Um, I was six years old and it was the first comic I ever laid eyes on. Um, it had a new character I'd never seen before because pretty much my exposure to superheroes was super friends and maybe the occasional, uh, Sunday morning comic strip. So a lot of peanuts and stuff like that. Um, but somehow Avengers 144 popped up in my apartment building. Um, and I remember seeing it and just being mesmerized by it and just like, Every page, I just looked it over and just absorbed everything and wondered where I could get more of this. And then the comic just kind of disappeared 
mm. um, from the apartment. And I was like, oh, my God, how can I get more of this? And luckily, my mother would take me to the local drugstore and they had a spinner rack. So I was able to find my comics there. Um, but about 10 years ago, I was like, uh, I don't remember the issue number or anything like that. But I remember Hellcat was on the cover. Um, <laughs> so I went looking through the back issue bins and I found it. I found Avengers 144 and I got the thing home and I flipped through it. And I went to the credits because I was like, I wonder who drew that thing. And sure enough, it was George Perez. <laughs> um, so George Perez was there at the very beginning of my comics journey. Oh, wow. No kidding. Yeah. Lifton, what about you? And so mine, again, like I came much more into Marvel in my younger days before I got into DC comics. I was DC a little bit here and there, but being a big Marvel fan at the time, uh, my introduction to George Perez was infinity gauntlet. Number one in mm. 1991, mm. I hadn't read crisis. I hadn't read any of his, you know, teen tides is more notable stuff. Um, before mm. then that was my introduction. And I just remember on the, the, in the comic shop, there were, I was into some characters. I wasn't into others. But when I see Infinity Gauntlet and a cover full of, you know, every character you can imagine, <laughs> like almost <laughs> like all drawn into this cover, like, of course, I'm going to grab that book and, and, and just have to find out what happens inside with all these people involved. So, I mean, that, that worked for me just from the cover alone with the, with the Thanos fist and everything. I didn't even know who Thanos was by that point in time, actually. But yeah. Infinity Gauntlet number one, uh, just grabbed me into it. Yeah, I forget he worked on that. Like he didn't, fi- he didn't do the entire series. He did much of correct? it, correct? Yeah, he did a lot of it, right? Right, like two thirds of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a big book. Mm-hmm. That's a big book for sure. Tommy, how about you? Um, like Clifton, that was my first introduction to George Perez, but it wasn't my strongest because when I thought it looked cool and I was in a comic book store admiring it, somebody then said, if you think that was good, I was introduced to crisis Mm. to so comparatively as to why he would be on the infinity gauntlet. Mm. And then when I saw somebody gave me a trade of that, when I saw that, then I understood the scope of, why he would be on Infinity Gauntlet um, because of the stuff he did in Crisis and the stuff he did in Crisis. I mean, I was blown away by not only how he would draw characters, but it, regardless of how many people were in a panel, he would make them <laughs> all like fit. It, it's almost mm-hmm. like looking at a lens and having everybody in focus, yep. regardless of how yeah. many people put in. Like, he didn't skimp on detail, whether it was a rock being thrown or a rocky background, or it had, like, 50 di- different um, notables from the DC universe in just a panel, let alone a splash page, you know? Um, That's an yeah. excellent way of putting that, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. It, he, mm-hmm. I mean, his attention to detail was maddening, just, to, just <laughs> on the character description alone. And then further yeah. works were given as a result of that one. That I uh, that I enjoyed, but that was my first introduction. Was um, Crisis 
on Infinite Earths. He did so many panels, like what you're saying, where I feel like any other artist gets that description in the script, they want to jump out a window. Yeah. I gotta draw how many characters on this page? And he did it like all the time. All the time. All the time he did that kind of stuff. And you gotta think that like Crisis on Infinite Earths, where he's literally drawing the DC universe, it was a monthly comic. Yeah. And he hit every deadline. Every month. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and issue seven and twelve, if I'm not wrong, were both double sized issues. Yep. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And he hit the marks every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And there's there's no degradation of quality in <laughs> any none. issue of that book. Like Well, to even add that much to it, he gave groundbreaking covers. Like Two covers, all for that series, by far are repeated to this day. Mm-hmm. Not the, you know, it, and yeah. it, and it's just the imagery. Like people forget where he pulled the idea from, and quickly come to Superman holding Supergirl, not yeah. knowing that mm-hmm. it was a pull from something else entirely. But it then becomes the 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 mark in which whenever a fallen character dies in battle. You get the recreation of that picture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. To the point that they even put it in a in a recent um cartoon. Mm-hmm. Like as soon as you see the image, bam, mm-hmm. that's the first thing you remember. What's funny because it's not what it should be the first thing you remember. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and what's great is uh when uh supergirl cosplayers would go to conventions, they would seek out George Perez. Yep. To have him hold them. Yes. While they fake die in his arms. Yeah. While he's screaming to the heavens. He totally loved that stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. Frank, what was your first encounter? Uh well when when it when this when he passed, Devon and I were texting back and forth about, you know, and then and I and I texted back to him and said, you know, we were talking about when we first encountered or what were the earliest weeks we remember seeing him. And I remember you know, I was surprised when I was looking through stuff that I that I encountered him before I knew who he really was, because I had like I had, um, and for me it was early Fantastic Four stuff that he did, and and he I think I've told the story before about I had this Fantastic Four issue from like one eighty two, it ends in a great cliffhanger of, of of the brute of part of the frightful four tossing Sue out a window, and that's the cliffhanger she's fallen to her what should be her death. And I didn't, because I got it in a three-pack of comics, and there was no comic shop at the time. I wasn't able to get it for the, for now, what the next part was for years. Fast forward, when, when I've realized like I have the issue that takes place, which is right, like two issues after is 184, and that's a George Perez issue. And it's like this, um, this character called the Eliminator. It's a, it's a throwaway villain. I don't think he's ever returned, ever. <laughs> but it's, 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 it's a George Perez issue. That, you know, clearly I was, you know, I remember it like I, I, I think fondly on this issue a lot, even though I don't think I knew at the time that George Perez was the one who drew it. And going back and looking through stuff about, you know, for him, I was like, oh, yeah, I love that issue with that character that's kind of cheesy and a throwaway. But at the time, I, you know, I mean, the cover's great. You know, the interiors are great. And, you know, it's just George Perez mm-hmm. doing awesome George Perez work on a throwaway villain for the Fantastic Four from like, 80 what is this let me see oh i'm sorry earlier than that it's from 77 so much earlier than i thought mm. 
Right. But again, it's another one that I got in a three pack of comics and I didn't, you know, wasn't able to get the next issue, but I remember it vividly as a comic that I do love, even though, you know, it's not a doom issue or the scrolls or anything, you know, typical fantastic four. I thought for sure that my answer was going to be crisis on infinite earths, which I read in my twenties. Mm-hmm. I thought for sure that was my first encounter of it, okay. but kind of like what you're saying, Frank, like I forgot that I encountered him in another play. It was like, I didn't even know he was on this book. Um, right. and it, which was future and perfect the incredible Hulk That's story, which yeah. was one of those mm-hmm. that like, yeah. there was a period when I was about 12, 13 where I was in the comics, but my brother was sort of like, like telling me about stuff in his collection, which he's collecting in the seventies and eighties. Like he got like all the cool stories that were happening, like, you know, um, dark Knight returns and the alien costume stuff. And so like every weekend he was sort of like, he's like, you should read this. You should read this. And he told me about this one, like, what? There's like an evil Hulk in the future that conquered the Marvel universe. What? That sounds awesome. I need to read right. this. And then like, he gives me that, that book to read and it just, it blows me away. I had no idea who George Perez was at the time, but you know, there's that one like double page spread in there of, you know, you go to the maestro, uh, is, mm-hmm. what, is what that Hulk's name is, is what he's known as. And, and, you know, you see basically like his trophy room of like all the, marvel heroes that like he's killed in battle basically and it's like mm-hmm. cap shield and and you know all the helmets hanging from the roof and like i think like wolverine skeleton is in there and stuff. <laughs> yeah. it's just like it's yeah. still one of the coolest pages ever yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i remember i think I, I don't know i think i've told you guys the story but i remember we were living in south texas it was the end of crisis and I, we had picked it up from you know i picked up my stack of comics from the local comic shop and crisis 12 was out and then, you know, if you've ever been in Texas in the summertime, it's enormously hot. And my mother and my sister were going in some in the mall and I said, I'll catch up with you. I'm going to sit here in this hot ass car and I'm going to read the end of Crisis. <laughs> <laughs> That's how much like Crisis to me. Like, crisis to me is like the, like the, the granddaddy of all big crossover events. I don't I don't think it's done better since Crisis. I think that, you know, occasionally they they skirt it and they get close, but they don't really, then nothing's mm-hmm. eclipsed it for sure for me. But I remember in there, you know, burning up, but I, I wanted to see how much this was, <laughs> you know, I wanted to see this final fight with the anti-monitor. I want to see what happened. Um, you were sweating from the tension, not from <laughs> yes! the heat. <laughs> yes. Not from the heat, not from this, 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 this hot box of sitting right. in the car and the Datsun B210 right. that I was sitting in of trying <laughs> to read. Not this very dangerous situation that no, you put yourself in. No, that, you know, there's no neglect. I'm sure, I'm sure at they all. cracked the window right. open. It was fine. It was. Right. It, it, it was my choice. I made they, this choice for they myself. Left a bowl of water behind. It was right. Fine. Exactly. Exactly. But I, I remember it vividly sitting in that car because I wanted to read the end of that story because I want to know how you know so bad how they, especially the way it's left. You know, after the, everything sort of goes, it's 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 one of those things where you know if you've never read Christ, I won't spoil it for you, but. You know, things don't look good for our heroes. And and then 12 is, is a double size issue, like uh, like you guys were saying. And, I, you know, it's still there's images from that book that's, that are, are that I will always carry that just to me. It's just one of those great, great things that George was a part of. And there's so mm-hmm. many other ones. That's the thing about it, though. The Devon and I were texting back and forth was I'm like, there's so much of my good. Like superhero comics memories that are tied to George Perez, like so many that I think mm-hmm. about. You know, it was just stuff that I love and I'm like, you know, or stuff that I don't like I tripped over. I'm like, I don't re- like when you say the thing about 
Zach about Future Imperfect. I'm like, oh yeah, Future Imperfect's great too. <laughs> like, yeah, that's I totally such a great forgot he did that. <laughs> yeah, that's such yeah. a great book as well. And then like, you know, there's, you know, there's that moment when after Heroes Were Born, you know, when that comes up and, 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 and people are like, even I was cynical. I was like, I don't know if the Avengers are going to be something I'm going to be into. You know, when he and Kurt came together to do it again, like, well, Kurt, you know, he was coming back to Avengers and Kurt was going to write it. I just didn't know. And I remember I really, you know, I love some of that. That stuff, stuff is great too. You know, the whole alternate imperative, mm. all that stuff is really good. Mm. And that's like, you know, that's long after he's, you know, quote unquote, at the top of his game. Cause right. he was, you know, you know, you're not even talking, we haven't talked Titans yet, right. but like, that's mm, another yeah, one where man. I'm like, Avengers is one where like his early stuff, as well as when he comes back to it, it's just some really great stuff too. I'm, I'm kicking myself. I've, I've never read justice league Avengers. And it's one of those like, you know, Yo. notoriously not collected until, until again, like very recently, like not reprinted. And right. it was just like, I just didn't know what I didn't know at that time. Like I grew yeah. up at Marvel in the nineties. Yeah. It was X-Men. It was Spider-Man. Yeah. It was like, you, there was no telling me, there was no convincing me at that point that the Avengers were like yeah. worthy of, of fighting the Justice League and that being like the biggest crossover of all time when the X-Men were right over there. You know, sure, to whatever, however old I was, 14 year old Zach. Um, and it's just like, it drives me nuts now that like, that I missed it. I really missed it. And it's like, and like we said, like, it's just notoriously super hard to track down now. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I mean, you know, we've, we've all been to a lot of conventions and hung around a lot of comic stores. He's the one George Perez is the one that, I, that, I mean, I, I don't think this is an, an exaggeration to say he's the one that I think the most. I see people talk about with stars in their eyes in a way mm. like th th yeah. there's a way that people gush about George Perez. That's not unlike Led Zeppelin fans, the way they gush <laughs> about Jimmy Page. <laughs> like it's really not. I like, I mean, maybe more than any artist I, I can think of in comics. Yeah. And I mean, up to and including like Jack Kirby. Mm -hmm. I don't like, I think George Perez, I think gets the most praise. Of anybody I've ever seen, I've ever heard. Zach, are you remembering our, our San Diego trip 2014? Oh, yes. <laughs> but I'll let you tell it. We'll get into this story. So Zach and I were at uh, San Diego Comic-Con in 2014. We're at a panel for what? Teen Titans Go? Is that what it was? Yeah, yeah it was show. a shared panel for Teen Titans Go and Beware the Batman. Yeah. And so we're sitting there and, and a guy comes in, sits next to us with his son and we recognize him just from seeing him, you know, on other stuff, videos online and other panels. And it's, it's, it's Sam Register, who's the president of Warner Animation. Yeah. Mm. So he's like <laughs> the executive producer of all these shows, executive producer of Young Justice, executive producers of Teen Titans, then Teen Titans Go. And he sits down and, and we get to start talking to him. He's actually very, really quite nice to us. He's very friendly to us. Yeah. And then he, he's just like, want to see what I just got? <laughs> And we're like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and he pulls out of his bag, uh, original page, full page, like comic book page drawing, like original, you know, like preprint comic book page, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. like blue line page of original art from George Perez of the entire new Teen Titans lineup oh, that wow. he had just picked up from him like that day, right before yeah. this panel. Uh, and like, like yeah. we're in awe of it. And like, he's just so giddy. <laughs> 
to show it off. Right, of this, course. This, yeah. Like executive at Warner Brothers animation. Yeah. The guy the guy who works on the show. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And right. He, like, he just couldn't contain himself with with his giddiness and eagerness to show it off. And like we're luckily like he found the appreciative audience that's just like <laughs> as much in awe of it as he is. So yeah, I mean that's just what you're getting at. Where like 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 people idolize George Perez, like no matter who they mm-hmm. are, no matter how powerful yeah. they are, like th- this guy loved George Perez. Anybody ever meet him at a convention? Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, did sure. you? Yeah, yeah. I never spoke to him. He always seemed like such a sweet guy. Oh, he absolutely was. He was just like this in- mm. insanely ebullient, like human being. Um. So when Frank and I went to Baltimore Comic Con in 2002, um, I was actually lucky enough to get into his line to get a sketch, and I got uh, Donna Troy. And mm-hmm. so when it was time for me to, he told me to come back in like two hours and he'd be able to start the sketch. So I come back in two hours and he just kind of looks up and he goes, "Oh, there you are. Okay, I'm ready to start now." And so I hand him the book and. I'm like, do you mind if I just stand here and watch you like <laughs> while you draw? And he's like, oh, no. And then he's just talking to me the whole time. And, you know, they tell you don't ever meet your heroes. But he totally blew that out of the water. Um, he was just so mm-hmm. sweet to me. And, and that's one of those things where nobody has. I've never heard a bad word about him. Never. Mm-hmm. Mm. just not one bad word and you know i'm just not only grateful for the work but i'm grateful that he was everything i needed him to be mm. that's an amazing story yeah i remember that same show what, what impressed me the most about it was like you know again he's he's george Perez. he's an enormous talent he's an enormous you know legend in the business and he was and again not nothing there's nothing against anybody else or what anyone else does but I remember the thing that impressed me the most was he wasn't really taking money for sketches. He mm. just wanted you to he just wanted you to donate to to provide kids who couldn't afford coats. Mm. Do you remember that, Devon? Do you remember yeah, that was like the thing yeah. that year? He's like, yeah. I don't really he's like, I'm not taking any money personally. Just put money in the kitty. Like basically for this is all that money is going to for kids who can't afford coats. And I yeah. thought, you know. He doesn't have to do that. No one has to do that. I mean, it's one of those things where you, I don't know anyone's personal, you know, personal situation, whether they, whether they need the money, whether they're lying in their pockets and their beds with their whatever they make. I don't care. But the George Perez was like this giant, you know, in the industry. And that's what he was concerned with, was making sure that, you know, the money that he took in from sketching, his work was going to go to, to these kids who didn't have quotes. And on top of that, he was just like incredibly friendly and personable. And I, like you said, I've never heard anyone say, you know, anything bad about him. I remember when we went, I think it was, cause I didn't go, I didn't go to San Diego with, with, uh, with Zach and Clifton the, when they went, but I went the like the next year, right? Is when the next year we all went. Yeah. You, you were there two of the years. Yeah, I think we so. there, yeah. We were there two years together. But that was the one yeah. we were going to the panel. That was a Superman, one of the anniversaries, or it might've been death of Superman was the panel. If I remember correctly, mm, yeah, we were all going to that right. panel together. And I remember waiting in line with my wife and George strolls up <laughs> and, you know, and it's George and, you know, people are saying hello to him and he's like, oh, you know, hello. And he's trying to figure out where, you know, and I, and I have a knack for this because I did the thing with Phil Lamar where like he just had the thing of like not knowing where the, because, you know, conventions are like that. They don't put up enough signage 
or rooms are changing. Yeah. Like the, we ended up sitting in the panel waiting with the, it was Jillian Anderson was the one that was before it. Right. And then that, the, then everyone else came in to talk about the Superman or the death of Superman. I can't remember what, anyway, long story short, mm. I had a nice conversation with George and be like, Oh yeah, you're George. You're going right here. <laughs> this is where you're going to be for your panel. He's like, thank you so much. He's like, I was looking all over for it. I couldn't figure out where it was, <laughs> but I mean, that's just, I mean, then, you know, seeing him, I saw him a couple times at Pittsburgh, same thing. I mean, he was just, you know, he was just, you know, like I said, incredibly personable and kind and not, you know, again, for being a guy that, like I said, for me, it's just like, there's just so many good memories tied to his work. And it's always like, like Devon was saying, you know, you should meet your heroes, but he was just so great. I mean, there was nothing about him that I didn't like when I got to talk to him. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking back since I brought up Infinity Gauntlet, thinking back to that and Crisis on Infinite Earths, like those mm-hmm. are both two books that defined those companies. Mm-hmm. Sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like they are company defining books. Like Crisis uh, was apparent like from the get, from the jump. And then Infinity mm. Gauntlet, in retrospect, became such a defining book as, as, you know, so much of the MCU as we have now is inspired and based upon ideas from it. That For him to have been part of, like, you know, the, the pivotal works from both companies is, is pretty amazing. Mm. Uh, Ron Lim was the other artist on Infinity Gauntlet, yep. we have to mention. He's mm-hmm. the one who finished off the book the last two and a half issues or so. But George Perez was there for the first three and a half. And the only thing I was going to say about Crisis was like, yeah, it's George, but there's a, he does get a little assist from what's well, Jerry Ordway, right? Mm. Ordway, the one that comes in and helps so. out a little yeah. bit. Yeah. But, but again, you know, so much of that book is, is George and Mark Wolfman. But um, mm. yeah, I, again, I just can't, when you, well, I, don't, I guess, yeah, I didn't really think about it that way either. Clifton was the fact that, that the Infinity Gauntlet, especially with what we've got in the MCU is so important. Right. You know, one thing that I don't think that, gets enough talking about personally um is just how big the titans were uh mm-hmm. in the 80s mm-hmm. um like they were nothing before george perez and, and marv wolfman came on and, and took over the book um right. and they were doing they took a book that had been canceled multiple times and brought it to like a prominence no one saw coming um, to the point where I think that sales on the book were actually super close to what X-Men were doing at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and Teen Titans got so big, and this is another thing that people don't talk about enough. It got mm-hmm. so big that the U.S. government went to yeah, DC yeah. Comics and said, yeah. hey, <laughs> we want right. to do a book, an anti-drug book. Um, what have you got? And they looked at George Perez and Marv Wolfman and said, well, we've got our two biggest, like, we got our biggest writer and artist. We got the Teen Titans. We can put together a comic book for you. And so a Teen Titans anti-drug comic started going into classrooms. So this thing to a lot of like 80s babies is it's as ubiquitous as uh the Dark Knight Returns or X Men mm-hmm. because it was just in so many hands, right? Um, yeah, and the fact of the matter is, it was actually pretty good too. <laughs> it's it's funny you say that because I recently had a moment. Like I, I think I've I've told the story. I know you guys know the story, but you know the sum, the infamous summer of being able to read like most of, of Wolfman and uh, Perez's New Teen Titans all the way through the Judas Contract. 
mm-hmm. reading all the X-Men, X-Men through Dark Phoenix and then the Legion stuff that Giffen and um, Giffen and, and uh, Paul Levitz did through through the the can't think of it right now through the dark side stuff uh great darkness saga darkness saga thank you great darkness saga. Yeah. i got i read all that in the summer like that was one of my summers when i was staying <laughs> at my with my older cousins they had all that stuff and i got to read it all in the summer and i remember recently getting into it with a, with a fairly known creator about you know as much as i want to you know i love putting um claremont and burns x-men on a pedestal i'm like you can't do you can't just brush aside new teen titans like there wasn't this horse race between the two of them mm-hmm. like you know i mean wolf and Perez were kicking ass every month on on titans too like it wasn't you know it wasn't just a walk-off you know win for claremont and burn and i love that stuff too but you know i was like no but you have to give credit where it's due because if you look at like stuff like i remember like insert in in dc comics they would have the eagle awards right and x-men mm-hmm. was on the list but it was like batman swamp thing teen titans were like the first three or four I think, or Batman was mm-hmm. maybe lower down on the list, but Titans and Swamp Thing, which was Alan Moore at the time, was like the high points for those awards, which I guess at the time before, long before the Eisners or any of that stuff, um, was the award for the for for stuff for comics. But I, you know, I, I'll I'll say that you know that a lot of a lot of the Titans stuff is is just as good as what was coming out at, from their you know their Marvelous competitor <laughs> at the time. <laughs> And I don't think it, I don't think it's the same thing. I don't think that people loft it or put it as high up as say with the, um, you know, with the with the X Men stuff. I think Uncanny is the one that people always want to put ahead. And I'm like, yeah, there's some great stuff, but right, you know, Wolfman Perez did a lot of great stuff too. Yeah, yeah, like the Judas Contract. Yeah, for sure. Uh-huh. I love that one. I mean, one of my favorite arcs though out of the whole thing is the one where they where they find uh, Cliff Steele. Oh yeah, love mm-hmm. love that arc. That arc is a great arc. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I was a, I was a fan of the Doom Patrol. Oddly enough, I was a fan of the Doom Patrol because of a, of a Blue Ribbon Digest that George did the cover for. You know, that's another thing where you saw like the image caught my eye. I'm like, oh yeah, it's Doom Patrol. Let's check this out. And then that was my where my love of the Doom Patrol came from. And then reading later on the issues where, you know, Beast Boy, who I'd never I thought he was a new character they created, not realizing he was in the Doom Patrol long before mm-hmm. he was Same. in Titans. Yeah, so. I forgot he's Judas contract. Yeah, he did that. Yeah. I forgot that. That's because it's one of those, like I didn't, I didn't read a lot of the new teen Titan stuff at all. Like, I mean, I read that certainly. Yeah. Cause that's, that's kind of, that's the biggie, but yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. And I that's where you, him. God, that's a beautiful book. That's where you get Nightwing. That's where yeah. you get Nightwing yeah. <laughs> yeah. and Jericho and Jericho. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the, the important, let's, let's not, you know, again, it's one of those things where I think about, um, you know, the importance of like Cyborg and Raven and Starfire alone, you know, not to mm-hmm. mention the fact that they, you know, they give the dust off Wally West and they, you know, they do all the stuff with, they do with him. And, but the fact that those three characters go on to be as important as they are in, in pop culture, you don't have any of that without the two of them, without Wolfman and Perez. Right. Absolutely. You know, there is no Teen Titans. There's no Teen Titans go. There's none of that stuff, you know, yeah. without the, without new Teen Titans. So. Any uh, any final thoughts on George Perez before we start wrapping up? You should read JLA Avengers. Yeah, <laughs> I should. Yeah, I was gonna say if you guys recall that um, Deathstroke was created by Wolfman and Perez. That's true yeah, as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, as was but, Taskmaster. Uh, as oh, yeah. was Taskmaster. Yeah, yeah. and Hellcat. Say, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what the thing is now? Like 
I was I was a staunch like all, all the guys remember me kind of like barking about how like disappointed I was that Kirby's name wasn't bigger on the movies. Yeah, I'm actually like after this episode, I'm actually really mad now that Perez's name was not bigger on the movies. <laughs> yeah, right. like the MCU movies. Like, I mean, like, man, you know, just being more of a DC guy again. Like, I just I didn't know what I don't know. Like, you know, I I forgot that Infinity Cry uh, and. <laughs> the infinity stone yeah. stuff was all him yeah. like well not yeah. all him but you know mostly him um god yeah it just it breaks my heart now yeah that that you know millions of people in billions of dollars later that not more people know his name mm. you know what really sits with me when when we talk about george perez it's uh i was talking to a uh really good friend of mine about feeling blessed to have seen the things that I've seen. I've been able to see Michael Jordan in his prime. I've been able to see Mike Tyson in his prime. I've been able to see different singers like in their prime, uh, do incredible works. And as I'm sitting here talking about all that, it really hits me. It's like when you talk about the greats in certain fields, when you talk about a Muhammad Ali, you talk about a Michael Jordan, you talk about a Aretha Franklin or something like that. When we talk about comics, we have to talk about George Perez in those terms. Like, we're fortunate. We got to see this man at his peak. Like, we got to see him. If you look at some of his early art, it's a little rough because he's trying to figure <laughs> out who he needs to be. Right. But when he gets there, it is he just grabs you by the collar and he is like, I am George F. and Perez. <laughs> and just to be able to like see him go from doing not so great issues of the avengers where he's still trying to figure stuff out and the inker doesn't know who he is and it's just like okay i'm just gonna do me to 30 some years later seeing him do jla avengers and every line on that page fits there's nothing wasted and this gigantic book that like goes through two different comics universes I just feel like we were blessed to, to have this man's talent and I'm I'm just so fortunate. I just feel so fortunate to be a witness to it. And that's my thing. Well said, man. That's beautiful, actually. <laughs> Thank you. I love the appreciation in your voice every time when you talk about like creators and, and and it's just so cool. This is why I like that story even more of like you 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 have a piece of his. You have an original piece of his mm -hmm. that you watched it. You stood and watched him draw. <laughs> yeah, like it was it was a gift. I, I think that's awesome. It was a gift yeah. to be able to watch him draw it. It really truly was. Like not everybody gets to to. No one has ever stood. No fan has ever stood behind Cal Ripken Jr. while he hit a home run. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like, and then, and then, like you said, like, and to be awesome about it, yeah, too. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. that's 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 that, that that that's it. I mean, that's a gift, absolutely. That's, yeah, you know, that's what we all hope for that experience to be. Yeah, it was our gift. Yeah, 
Anybody else want to try and top that? <laughs> okay. Oh no, I was going to mention that I don't believe there's an artist who's drawn as many characters Probably as not. George Perez, <laughs> bar none. Nope. Given what um, the works that he's created and drawn, if you just do three, uh, for me, I can just think of three books, limited series that I don't think anybody's recreated as far as pound for pound characters are concerned. Like, if you put Crisis, Infinity Gauntlet, and JLA Avengers together, <laughs> right. mm-hmm. the amount of characters, mm. all that encompasses in itself, I don't believe anyone has gone to that length as creating that many characters of the big two other than George Perez. If I'm wrong, I, you know, I'll gladly, you know, <laughs> say that, you know. No, I don't, th- I don't think you're wrong. Yeah, I'd be surprised if you yeah. were wrong. Yeah. And can I add something to that? Like, he did it without the internet. He did it without <laughs> yeah. the so, internet. So like, <laughs> right. You know and this is not like, even... like, the joke that we all make is Anthro. When we bring up Anthro, Anthro is like the epitome of like, like, what? Like, super obscure character? What is that? Like, I remember being introduced to Anthro in Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's yeah. like, I just assume he either knew who he was or had to go back and find something and like, all right, let me you know, find some old issues of this. So I have a take on the character Yeah, to draw him. Right. And he did that mm-hmm. with like everybody in the DC universe. And then a few years later did it with like everybody in the Marvel universe yeah. and then did yeah. it again in one book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and remember he was also the cover artist for uh, who's who in the DC universe. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And the crazy thing about <laughs> George Perez was like, uh, Frank, I'm sure you'll remember this. Like after he was done with Crisis on Infinite Earths, where mm-hmm. he could have taken a break, he could have taken a long break, where right. he had, he had literally rejiggered the whole DC universe. But he went, okay. Well, next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to draw <laughs> the history of the DC right. universe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Like he did that, where yeah. it was like he drew he drew the new timeline of how yeah. things were going. And then yes. after that, he was like, what do I do now? Okay. I'm going to go revamp wonder woman. Right. And he goes on yeah. to do that. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm sitting here shaking my head, literally shaking my head. Yeah. Yes. Me too. Yeah. The Man, history of the DC universe is, is a beautiful book. It's a, it's, it's got some beautiful illustration work by him of just, yeah. you know, moments and characters and teams and it's oh it's awesome i love that one too mm-hmm. yeah just no one better in my opinion awesome careers both of these guys yeah yeah all right so uh i think it's time we got to close out unfortunately and we could talk forever about both of these guys still but devon thanks for joining us again we love having you here um where can listeners find you uh, if you want to, you can find me on Twitter at Devon Sanders, that's D-E-V-O-N-S-A-N-D-E-R-S, or you can find me in the streets, because that's where I'll be. <laughs> awesome. All right, buddy. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here. Again, we gotta, we gotta, like, uh, let's do this more often, please. We love having you here. I'm serious. Oh, yeah. Thank you for having me. Seriously, I love doing this. It's always a good time. 
If you guys want to suggest the topic, send them our way in the comments or on Twitter. Our Twitter handles are show's initials L-M-K-H-I-I. As always, we'll post LinkedIn examples to everything we talk about on LetMeKnowHowItIs.com. Just please remember to like us and follow us on social media, and we will see you guys next week. Bye-bye.